Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. You guys ready? I'm ready. I'm really enjoying, like I'm learning a lot as I'm studying, as I'm preparing, um, laying a foundation, what I believe um, for our church and how we view the Holy Spirit. And we did this last week, I think maybe second service. Um, We have folks from every denomination, all of our Baptist folks, raise your hand. If you grew up Baptist, come on, my hand's there. Church of Christ, any Church of Christ folks? All right, we got a few in the back, right? They're back where it's safe, okay? Um, And then any Methodists, raise your hands. All right, Pentecostals, raise your, you're raising both hands, right? They're the, they're the wild and crazy ones. And so we all, and uh, we've got Catholics, unchurched, but here's what I know is we are a non-denominational church. And so we're coming from all different paradigms and understandings of, of how we've grew up um, hearing the Holy Spirit talked about. And so I want to get us all on the same page um, on how we view and operate and, and interact with the Holy Spirit and lay a foundation for us as a church, but also if it's new information for you, to open up the conversation and begin laying some foundational stones in your life and walking with the Holy Spirit's presence and his power in your life so that we said last week that the ultimate goal of the Holy Spirit is to um, work in your life so that you grow to look more like Christ. Okay, everything that he does and moves and empowers us is for that purpose. And so we looked last week, Jesus gave us an introduction into the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at John chapter 14, 16, and 17. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17 again. Uh, And I want to point out something Jesus says here to help us understand the Holy Spirit's work in our life. When you're there, say word perfect word. Um, That's my new thing, so get ready for it. You're going to hear it a lot. (laughs) My wife's like, no, please. Um, Jesus is introducing the Holy Spirit, and he says this. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And we said last week, he said another being the same kind um, who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But then he says, but you know him because he lives with you now and later in you. So he says, look, he is with you now, but later he will be in you. And he says, I'm giving you another advocate, which means it's someone as good as Jesus And so a lot of times we look at what the disciples did and think, well, I could do that stuff if only Jesus were with me, just like he was with them. Guess what, guys? We have the same presence and power in our lives that the disciples had in their lives. Can I get an amen, right? So we have no need to think that we can't be as bold, as brave, as courageous as what the disciples were because we have the same presence in our life. But he makes this statement. He says, he is with you now. 
but he will be in you later. He will live in you later. So what happens when you and I, those of us who, you know, and I'm gonna use some church term, but it's, it's kind of what I know and I'll explain, but when you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. He takes up residence in your life. That in the moment of salvation, and we'll talk about maybe how this looks like. In the moment of salvation, when you say yes to Jesus, you acknowledge your brokenness, your fallenness, that the Holy Spirit then takes up residence in your life. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Paul speaks of this in, in a couple of occasions, but this one specifically because he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth because they're kind of getting, getting out of hand. And he says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the what? Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God. Up to this point, up until the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before Jesus's you know, life on earth, death, burial, and resurrection, the, the presence, the Spirit of God resided in a temple or a tabernacle made by man. And so now he has moved out of that and has moved into us and is alive living in us. That should be good news, right? And so we don't have to wait once a year like we talked about on Easter to go into the presence of God. We walk with the presence of God. We don't have to go to a special place. That special place is, guess what? It's right here in our life for those of us who are walking in that. And so we're gonna look here at Titus chapter three, um, few verses here. And Titus is one of uh, Paul's church planners. He's a missionary. He's overseeing some churches. And Paul has written this letter to Titus. We call it a book, but really it's a letter to him as a leader and to, to his church on bringing some order to the chaos there. And just a, just a side note, like there's been a lot of like stuff happening in the church world. And you think, oh, the church is just broken. The church is full of people. And guess what? We are we are broken, right? We are messy. And so I've said this before. If you find a perfect church, please don't go there because you're going to ruin it, right? right? And so there's, there's all this chaos that's going on in the churches, and Paul is trying to bring some direction. And he's reminding Titus of who he was and who he is now. And he says, once we too were foolish and disobedient. And I love how Paul is saying this. He's not saying once you were foolish and disobedient. Paul is understanding his brokenness as well, that he is in the same camp. We all were once foolish and disobedient, and we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of envy, and we hated each other, but... Whenever there's a but there, it's there on purpose, because this is who we were, but now this is who we are. And so he gives this description. He says, when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us, and we sang about this, through Jesus Christ, our Savior, because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we can have eternal life. And he makes a statement, he says, but when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love to us, and he says he saved us not because of the righteous 
things that we have done. Here's what I want you to understand. You are not saved by your good works. Some of you are like, what? I've been working so hard. And so you're like, thank you, Jesus. Like, there's no way. I'm more in the second camp, right? And so, you know, a lot of times people are like, how could a good God send a good person to hell? It's like, God doesn't send anybody to hell. And we'll, we'll look like that's a choice that you and I make. We don't realize that's the choice we're making, but that's the choice that we make. And so we don't get to heaven. We are not saved by our own merit, our righteousness. Because if, if, if we can fix ourselves by our goodness, then, then what's the litmus test for that? Like, what does that scale look like? Like, is it a grading scale? You know, um, I remember being in school and like you had an A, B, C, D. No, that's not right. A, B, C, D. F. Like, where did E go? Like, I was trying to find, like, why do we leave E out? What does that mean? And so, you know, some of my friends were like, you know, D's get diplomas, you know, C's to get, get, get degrees, B's better than average, you know? And so, but, so when you look at that, like, like, what is that, what does that even mean? So if um, an F is 69 and below, if we only sin like 69% of the time, like, do we go to heaven? Do we go to hell? Like, is that good enough? It's like, I don't know. And so what about A? You know, today, like an A is 93 to 100. In my day, it was 95 to 100. Like, why do you get two extra points? And so my, like, my kids bring a 93 home. Like, that's not an A. It doesn't count in my world. But like, like what is good enough? And so I was thinking about this. And I was like, all right, so, so how much sin is too much sin? And how much goodness is just enough goodness? And so if we were to sin, and we all sin, right? It's not our head, okay? We're all in this together, right? If we were to sin, let's say twice an hour, okay? You think, twice an hour? Good Lord, I could never sin that much, right? I sleep eight, <laughs> okay? Well, you're making up for it during the daylight hours, I promise you, okay? It was like, I didn't, like what did I do my first three years? A to- yes, a toddler lies before even being taught to lie. Because when we think of sin, we think of just action and behaviors. But when Jesus is speaking on sin in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about thoughts and attitudes. And, and he's saying things like, if you even call someone a fool, you're sinning. How many times have you called someone an idiot in a day? <laughs> oh, we don't want to. Can, can we excuse that? <laughs> right? Or how many times have you gotten angry? Because he says that is the same as wanting to commit murder. And so our view of sin and God's view of sin is different. But so let's just say we sin twice a day, 24 hours in a day. That's how many? Can you guys help me with the math? 48. Thank you. One person. I had to deal with the math beforehand so we could put it on the screen and I got it right because I can't do math or spelling. Right, babe? Right, she says. So 48 times a day in a year that is um, 365 days in a year, 17,520 times that you would sin. Not bad, right? We get away with that. <laughs> right? That's not bad. Like, there's a lot of hours in the day. And, like, there's a lot of, like, 17,000 twice a day. That's not bad. So, but as the time goes on, 20 years, once you finally get through your teenage years, um, and 350,400, and some, some of you are probably like, well, I got that beat, like, way, right? And it's like, our teenage years, we're probably sending maybe a couple, like, a couple of more times than twice an hour. And let's not talk about college, right, or young adults. We, we, we tend to not make some good decisions. So 350,400. 350, now, we start to reach middle age. What does that number look like? Man, 
700,800. And by the time you're like 56, um, you're a millionaire in sin currency and you can retire a millionaire. So like, what is the litmus? How good is good enough to get us into heaven? And how bad is too bad to keep us out of heaven and send us to hell? That's what I love what Paul says here, guys. He says that, that it's not by any righteous things that you have done, but because of his mercy. He has washed away. He has taken care of all of our sins. So all those like 700,000 sins that you committed in the first 40 and all the 700,000 sins that you'll commit in the next 40, they're taken care of. Not by anything that we do, but because of everything that he has done. And then he makes a statement. He says, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. And that's what I want to talk about today. He makes these two statements that we are, by the forgiveness of our sins, the washing away of our sins, we are given a new birth and a new life. And so when you look at, at, at who we are as a person, that we are a triune being. That is a big word for a three-part being. Um, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. But more importantly, we are a spirit, primary, that has a soul that lives within the confines of a body. And so if you look at your body being the outer layer, it's, it's, it's our physicality. Then you look at the next layer being our soul. That is our emotions. That is our personality. That is actually like how we um, communicate who we are. And then we have our spirit, which is the very central core that connects with God. Um, and re in all reality, guys, um, it is dead. Like you've heard the saying, um, dead in sin, right? If you've been to church, you've heard that saying, dead in sin. Well, what that means is that your spirit, your God part of who you are is dead. It is dead. It is, it is not awakened yet um, by this new birth of the Holy Spirit. And I know like, so a lot of times I'll teach like felt need messages. And this one's a little more theological because I want you to understand what the Holy Spirit's work is in our life. Because if you can understand that, it will give you strength and understanding in walking in your relationship with Christ. So let me help you. If you miss a message, please go back and listen to the podcast because they're going to build each and every week. And so as we're looking at this new birth, he says, you get a new birth. What does that look like? There's this story in John chapter three, and we'll pick up a passage in a moment, but there's this story. Jesus has a late night interaction with a religious leader named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a very um, influential religious leader that um, uh, directed things at the temple. And he had seen Jesus perform miracles. He had heard some of Jesus' teachings, and he wanted to meet with Jesus, but he chose to meet with Jesus in the late night. Do you know why? Scared. Because he knew what his other buddies who did not believe Jesus was the Son of God, who wanted to arrest Jesus, kill Jesus, he knew that if they saw him with Jesus, that they would begin to question who he was. And so he wanted to have this conversation with Jesus, and he met in the middle of the night, and so they're talking, and then Jesus makes this statement. He says, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, 
that, that terminology. Unless you were born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. We don't use that term a whole lot, right? Um, about it describing the salvation moment. Because people don't understand what it means to be born again. Like I remember early on, like as a youth pastor and I was doing like training and they're like, you might want to stay away from the words born again. People don't understand it. You'll confuse them. But Jesus didn't shy away from it. That's the words that he used. And that born again is a word like regeneration means to make new. We use terms like here. So, you know, just to kind of create a safer place for a fresh start and, and do over. And all those things mean the same thing. And Nicodemus, even being a religious man, doesn't fully understand this. And he's like, born again, like, what does that mean? How can a grown man enter his mother's womb again? And all the moms are like, I'm not having you again. I had you once. I'm not having you again. Right? Once was enough. And we've got some like went like some families here, some couples here that are getting ready to have we've got like three or four like new babies being born in the church, and it's exciting. But can you guys just slow down a little bit? Um, our nursery's getting full. We got to find another location, right, before we can do that. But Jesus is saying, look, if you want to enter this new life, you must not just be born, but you must be born what again. So he's like, I don't, I don't understand this. And Jesus tries to give him an explanation, and he says, I assure you. No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born again of water and the spirit. Humans can only reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And he says the wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from and you can't tell where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And so Jesus is saying, look, this is in order to inherit the kingdom of God, in order to live eternally, you must be born again. And what that looks like for us is, is we are fallen, we are sinful, we just inherited it. Because of the sin of one man in Adam, sin entered the world. And because we're a part of this world, sin is just naturally a part of us. There's nothing you had to do to sign up to be good at sin, right? It just starts. Like around the age of two or three, like your kids figure out they can lie to you and get out of trouble. Even though you just saw them take the cookie out of the kitchen, they're like, I didn't have a cookie. And the crumbs are all over their face. They lied about it. And what happens as we grow and we mature, we mature into our sin. And it looks different. And, and what happens is, is because we are sinful, we cannot be in the vicinity in relationship with our creator. Because he is faultless, he is blameless, he is without sin, he is perfect. So our imperfection would make him imperfect. So we cannot be in his presence. Because of that very nature, we are dead in sin. But Jesus has come to be the final payment and penalty for that sin. Because the wages of sin are, all my church folks say, death, right? And so because of that, we are dead spiritually because of our sin. But Jesus has come to make that final payment to cover our bill of being death for us. Now what happens as we accept our sin, our brokenness, and understand that and accept his death as payment, then what happens is 
God's spirit awakens ours. The Holy Spirit awakens ours. And so think of it this way. Um, you are physically alive at conception, okay? Your soul and your spirit are present. You are physically alive. Even before the doctors can detect a heartbeat, there is life. You have life. You are physically alive. Um, at birth, your soul and your, your soul is engaged and awakened to the new world that you were in. Before, you just had it all comfy and it was dark and warm. And then when you come, when you were born, your soul, your personality, your attitude, your emotions are now awakened to the world around you and interacting with the world around you. Now, what happens when you are saved and you accept your brokenness and your fallenness and God's spirit, it says that, that his spirit joins with our spirit, that our spirit is then, just as our soul was, our spirit is awakened to the world and the kingdom and the things of God. And we sense things that we might not have sensed before. This is a lot. Are you guys still with me, right? This is, this is what happens when, when we are born again. Our spirit that was dead is now awakened and alive to the things of God. And so how does that happen? And this is Jesus' response. He's like, he's like, exactly how does this work? And he says, well, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Even though I just did my best job to try to explain what takes place, that's not even close. And probably in five years, I will read something. I was like, well, I just messed everybody up, right? Because this is my understanding where I'm at now. And so we are in a place where we are growing and understanding how the spirit works in our life. And Jesus says, if I tried to tell it, like we said last week, Jesus makes a statement. He said, I can't tell you anymore because you can't bear it. And Jesus is saying, I could try to explain this to you, but you're not going to understand it. It's like trying to explain something to a toddler. It's like you're going to say it again, and you're going to say it again, and finally you're just going to say what? Because I said so. That's essentially what Jesus is saying right there. It is what it is because I said so. And we just have to take it at that, as there is something that takes place. But what if, guys, in this new birth, what if we could just kind of peel back the curtain just a little bit and just kind of see what takes place a little bit behind the scenes? There's, there's two things that, that we see in Scripture that happens. There is an external call, which is the Word of God. And I pray this every Sunday. Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts between soul and what? Spirit between bone and marrow, which means that the word of God is like a precision, like a scalpel that gets to the core of who we are and reveals the parts of us that are dead that need to be awakened, reveals the parts in us that, that are cancerous and needs to be removed. And so there's this external call through the word of God. And, and Paul says this in Romans chapter 10. He says, faith comes through hearing. And all my church folks say, hearing comes through what? The word of God. So our faith is called out. Our, our spirit, our dead spirit is quickened by the word of God. That's why a lot of times like you will hear a message and it just resonates with you, with you. That is, even though like it may be the greatest communicator, but the communicator is just the messenger. It is the word of God that is awakening your spirit. Okay, it, 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 it may be Hillsong United, it may be Elevation, it may be Bethel, and they may, it may be Avenue Church, come on. It is, it is not their musicianship 
that is quickening and awakening your spirit. It is the word of God that is professed through theologically sound music. Now, I remember um, as a kid and, and like four or five years old, and I'd never been to church by like four or five. I didn't, I didn't go to church until I was like six or seven. But I remember being at my great-grandmother's, um, and she had one of those um, heirloom Bibles. It's like massive. Like I called it a beat a Bible. It's like your kids act up. You just take it and beat it with them just because it's just so massive. But I remember it's like I've got it at my house. Like I remember when I would go and stay with, with, with Granny, and I remember just one instant I was like, that's a massive book. And I remember just opening it four or five years old and not being able to read, obviously, right? But I got to the pictures, and the pictures portrayed the gospel. And it showed Jesus' life. It showed his arrest. It showed his crucifixion. It showed his death. Like I remember seeing the picture of Thomas putting his finger in Jesus' wound. And I remember as a four or five, just like overwhelmed with emotion, not understanding what was going on. And my grandmother explained to me the gospel. Now, you know, I didn't confess Jesus in my mouth, but something woke up in my spirit that day. And it was the word of God portrayed in pictures. So there's this external call by the word of God. And then there's this internal call. Um, Romans 8, 16, it says, God's spirit joins with our spirit to declare, to testify, to confirm that we are his children. And because of that, we can cry out, Abba, Father, which just means Daddy, Father, which means Father, Father. It means like you are my Father. So his spirit, through the word of God, joins with our spirit. And that moment, it's not just in a prayer, but it's in that moment where your spirit is awoken, awaken rather, and God's Holy Spirit joins with your spirit, and that is your new birth. And so he says, look, the Holy Spirit brings new birth. It wakes up, our, he wakes up our spirit. And he says that the Holy Spirit brings new life. When you are born again, the transformation happens. And the life that you were living before should not um, have the same draw on you as it did. Something takes place, and I, again, Jesus says, I can't explain it, but this is, this is what Paul says um, in Romans chapter 8, verses 8, 9, and 10. He says, that's why those um, are, who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God, but you are not controlled by that nature anymore. And so what he's saying is, but, but that's why those who are still under. So he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. He says, but those who are still under, which means that the people he's writing to should no longer be under that, right? They should no longer be controlled by their sinful desires. And this is why. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. Instead, you are controlled by the spirit if you have the spirit of the living God, of God living in you, that is the Holy Spirit living in you. If the Holy Spirit resides, takes up residence in you, you should no longer be controlled by your sinful nature. You should have a new life where you're controlled by the Holy Spirit. He says, remember that those who do not have the spirit of Christ living in them actually don't belong to them, to him at all. In verse 10, and Christ lives within you. 
So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. We have a new life through the Holy Spirit. And he says, look, you used to be under control of this sinful nature, uh, but now you're not. Instead, your spirit has been awakened by the Holy Spirit. So our desires should be a little bit different than what they were before. Our priorities should be a little bit different than what they were before. Our um, passions should be a little bit different because what has happened, guys, is our, our awareness of our fallenness and our weakness and our sin is now made known because before you would just do what you want to and just face the consequences, did not realize that it was actually a sin act against the one who created you. And maybe you felt, I'm just trying to fulfill a hunger. I'm just trying to, to overcome something. I'm just trying to work through something. But what you're doing is you are just dead in sin. And you're fulfilling our fleshly, carnal cravings. But, but, but Paul says it shouldn't be this way. Um, so how do we know that the Holy Spirit is, is working in our life for this new life? I'm going to give you four things. Um, first is this is, is in Galatians 5, 16 through 17. We should have a hunger and thirst for God and his word. That once we have had a new birth and this new life, there should be in our life a presence of a hunger and a thirst for the things of God and his word. Not a full understanding and knowledge of it, but our cravings should change from cravings just to fulfill our flesh, whether it's, it's an addiction, whether it's an emotion, whether whatever it is that we try to fill a flesh craving, some of that should now transition to wanting and craving and desiring the things of God and the word of God. And as we hunger and we thirst for those things, well, Paul says this, he says, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us a desire that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. Now, it really doesn't get any easier because now what's happened is our spirit is awakened, our soul is awakened, our heart and mind is awakened that, oh, there's another way. There's a better way. I don't have to do that. I can choose this but we have to choose that. So this is where the next, the next two things come in. Is there conviction in your heart? If the Holy Spirit is, is residing in you as a believer, as a follower, there should be conviction that, no, this is not God's best for me. No, this is not what he desires. No, this, is, this is, goes against God's word. Doesn't always mean it's easy. Because then we have a responsibility to choose. And so through that conviction, um, is there a working to live a holy life? Now, the word holy is a church word that means set apart without blemish. Now, here's the incredible thing. Jesus has already done the work to make us righteous. It says that we can come boldly without fault. That work has already been done with the being born again. Now, what you and I have a responsibility to do is through the power and through the um, direction of the Holy Spirit is to continue on that path, right? To continue on that path. Are we gonna get it right all the time? Everyone says with one loud voice, 
<laughs> Someone said, yeah, I want to hang out with that person. No, <laughs> it's like, are we going to get right all the time? No, no. Some of you are like, I thought I was doing pretty good. You're not, <laughs> okay? And it's okay that you're not. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to be perfect. I know some of you are nervous saying that because they might actually think they are perfect and you're just going <laughs> to pop their bubbles, right? And you don't want to be told you're not. But it's okay. Like, I love reading Romans chapter seven and eight and Paul is having this discussion and this fight with himself. He's like, all the good things that I want to do, I don't do. And all these, all these bad things, evil things that I don't want to do, these are the things that I find myself doing. He says, just when I decide in my heart that I want to do right, that I want to be holy, that I want to do the right thing, I want to follow God, evil is right there to tempt me. And he says, what a terrible wreck am I? Anybody ever felt that? It's like, God, like how many times am I going to go through this? And I've heard him tell me, it's like as many times as it takes for you to give it over to me, right? To understand it's not you, it's me in you. You don't have to be perfect, but we should be walking in a direction that is holy. And that's a term that's not used a lot today. Because to be holy means you have to, in some senses, make a decision against yourself. Um, against what we want in the moment or against what culture thinks is right. Don't have to be perfect, but we should be moving in a direction of holiness. And then the last thing is this, number four is this, is, um, is there the presence of the fruits of the Spirit? Galatians 5, through 23. So, so we look at the Spirit working in us should, should cultivate hunger and thirst for God and His Word, that we should um, have conviction in our heart, that we should be working to live a holy life. But then out of the abundance of that, of doing those things, then we have the presence of the fruits of the Spirit in our life. And, and Paul's telling the church in, in, in Galatia in chapter 5, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces these kinds of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the last one is self-control. Um, we don't have to have an abundant harvest of all those all the time, right? But there should be some evidence of that in your life throughout your life. And when people, when people hear your name, do they think any of those terms? Like Stephen's loving, he's joyful, he brings peace, he's patience. Um, Stephen is kind, there's goodness, he's faithful, um, and a lot of those, believe it or not, like the one that I struggle with at times is joy. You're like, but you're a, you're a fun person. No, but like I worry way more than what you guys think. You don't have to bear that fruit all the time, but is there enough of it in your life that people recognize that it's the Holy Spirit working? And so he goes on to say this. He says, those who belong to Christ, they have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross. And I just caught this. It's not your cross man, it's nailed to his cross. I didn't see this. For, I didn't, it's to his cross, not yours, which means he's done the work. He's paid the penalty. All we have to do is give him those desires, those sinful desires, and it's his cross we're nailing them to. And he's crucified there. And the last verse says, since we are living by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in 
every part of our life. This is harsh. Not just the parts people see. The work comes in is when we're following the Spirit's leading in the parts people don't see. Because it's in those parts where we're more likely to silence the Spirit's voice in our life. But it's in those parts that are going to bring about a more rotten harvest, if I can use that, a harvest of death and decay. Um, it says in, in Colossians that um, uh, you cannot mock God's judgment. You will reap what you sow. And we don't like to preach that because it's not warm and fuzzy. That's not just in the life of an unbeliever. That's in the life of a believer as well. And so allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us in every area of life, um, every part. And A.W. Tozer says this. Um, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in a person, he doesn't let them live like the rest of the world any longer. Man. Man. He doesn't let them live like the rest of the world any longer. And so you look at these four things, and, and if you were to take a litmus test of your life and a survey of, of those closest to you, of, of, of you being a, a, a follower of Jesus who's been born again and is living this new life, is there a hunger and thirst for God in your life? Are they seeing conviction in your life? Are they seeing you trying to do your best to set apart as, as, as a holy vessel for God? And is there that, that harvest of the spiritual fruit that we talked about? Are they seeing that in your life? If we were to ask your coworkers, what would they say? If we were to ask, um, do I want to say this? If we were to ask your in-laws that you don't get along with, what would they say? It's real easy. You can ask all the people that I like and like me, but what about the people that I don't like and don't like me? Will they see this evidence in my life? What if we asked your kids, would they see this in your life? And I don't, I don't want to bring condemnation, but I want allow the Holy Spirit to bring some conviction in our life so that we can walk out this new life as a result of this new birth that we've been given. And, and it says this in um, Titus, I think it was Titus 3, 7, again, just to read this, because of his grace, he made us right in the sight and gave us confidence that we will have eternal life. And so if you're here today, guys, and, and you've at some point since that, that stirring, that external call, of the word of God, cutting you, you know, for lack of a better term, piercing your heart, piercing your soul all the way to your spirit. What that is, it is the word of God coupled with the spirit of God awakening something in you that is dead. And you may not understand, I didn't understand that as a four and five year old, but I knew something was going on. And then later on, I responded to that because I had a better understanding of what God had done for me, what was taking place in me. And so if you're here today, and for lack of, you know, in an old-fashioned term that Jesus used, are you born again? Or are you living dead in sin? That your body is alive, your soul, which is your emotions and your personality, you're interacting with the world around you, but are you interacting with the one who created you? Are you living in line and in connection with the one who created you? Think, well, I'll come to church. That doesn't do it. Church doesn't do it. 
I serve, that doesn't do it. I'm a good person, we saw that doesn't do it. You can't be good enough and you can't be bad enough. Thank goodness, it's by accepting God's mercy and grace and gift and the sacrifice and the washing of our sins away because of Jesus' sacrifice. And then allowing God's spirit to rebirth us into this new life. And for some of you, that needs to take place. For others of you, it's like, I've done that. Have you taken the next step? What's the next step? The next step is baptism. Now, we're a church that we don't believe you have to be baptized to be saved. That in the moment you say yes to Jesus, you are saved. If you were to not make it home, you would spend eternity with him. But I believe that there is something that takes place. Just as Jesus says, I can't explain what takes place in the spirit. I can't explain it. That there is something that takes place when you go down into the waters of baptism, symbolic, symbolizing burying of your old person, of your old life. For some of you, you haven't done that. And so you have things continuing to chase you because you haven't buried them. You've been forgiven, but you haven't buried them. And that needs to be your next step. So next Sunday, we've got baptism Sunday after second service, and it's always a party, yes, but it's, it's a party because we want God's best for you, and we want you walking in all fullness that he has, and we want to celebrate you burying who you were, rising up in who you are in Christ, that your real life is hidden in Christ. For some of you, maybe you were baptized as a teenager or young adult or three years ago, and like you just have not been following God the way that you need to. And maybe you felt like you need to do that again. But your thought is, what will people think? It doesn't matter what people think. Because baptism is an outward expression of what God's already done on the inside. And if he's doing a work on the inside, let them know on the outside what he's done, that you're not ashamed. Jesus says that those who um, deny me before man, I will deny before my father. So I don't want you to to deny what God is doing in you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk to those of you specifically that, that, that need a regeneration, that need a new birth, that need to be born again. And maybe you've been coming for a while or you've been in church for a while, but you've not heard it explained and you didn't fully understand. And it's my desire that your eyes and your spirit have been awakened by an external call of his word. Now I'm relying on the Holy Spirit to, to, to couple and team with that. That you would say, Jesus, I give you my life. That I'm tired of being under control of my sinful nature and things just not working and feeling the weight and the shame and the guilt. Not feeling good enough. That in this moment, by saying yes to Jesus, admitting your dead in sin is an opportunity for new birth. And if that's you today, I invite you just to lift your hand just for a moment just so I can see and pray for you. Don't have to wave it, just lift it. Awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. All right, look up here at me. Here's what we're gonna do. Those of you who raised your hand, in this prayer, it's gonna sound something like this. It's not my words that save you, but it's yours. It's not even your words that save you, but it's a conversation that you're having with your creator, acknowledging your death 
and receiving his life and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you were buried for me, that I have new life in you, that your spirit is alive in me. So Father, we just come to you this morning and I thank you for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your spirit moving in our, in our, in our presence, in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives. God, those that raise their hand, and even if they didn't raise their hand, but, but there's this internal call now through your spirit that something needs to change. A new direction needs to be made. Let your spirit, Father, just quicken right now. Do the work that only you can do in new birth and new life that any guilt of being not good enough is silenced by your word saying that they are righteous, that they are without fault. As they confess with their mouth and they believe in their heart that Christ is Lord. God, your word says that in that moment, all the old is gone and all things are made new, that we are a new creation, that we are reborn into new life. And we thank you for that word. God, for those of us who follow you, God, I pray that we would not live under the control of our sinful nature, that we would surrender and submit to your Holy Spirit that is leading and guiding us into the things that are opposite of our sinful nature, that you would give us the strength and the courage to make decisions at times against ourselves, but for your word. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, amen. Come on, let's celebrate that today. Every time.